Yo ho ho, it's time to go Back to the dungeon far below Players arrive in time to die Man, I love to watch them cry Grab some dice, grab some fun Join the teachers in the dungeon Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I am Tom Gross with Dan Ream, and we are the Teachers in the Dungeon. We have a special show. It's a bonus action show, and actually, we are here meeting with Andrew K. Wood of K. Wood Publishing. Andrew, how are you today? Good, guys. How are you? Doing well. <laughs> it's the end of the school year for us, so that's always a good thing. That never hurts anything. So, Andrew, I wanted to, the way we kind of connected was I picked up your uh, book, Monsters of the City, posted it on social media, and you kind of gave a, hey, thanks a lot kind of thing. And I said, you know what, love to talk to you on the show. And so here we are. But I want to talk a little bit about you. I've got a quick question for you. And that is, we always like to try to ask our guests on Teachers in the Dungeon this right away. And that is, what's your role playing or Dungeons and Dragons story? How did you get into all of this? <laughs> sure. So um, <clears throat> I was pretty young. I'd um, I'd moved from South Africa to Canada, and um, about a year or so, maybe after that, sort of still getting used to North America as a bit of a culture shock coming from a kind of European neighborhood and this uh, city on the other side of the world. Very, very different culture. And uh, yeah, a few months after I was here, maybe half a year or something, some kids from school said, hey, do you want to come and try this game? And I had no idea. I didn't know anything about role-playing games or never. I've never heard of D&D. And what we did was we'd play basically all day on the weekends at um, this guy's house. We'd take breaks to go outside and play football in the yard. His mom would bring us snacks. And yeah, we'd literally like, We'd play from like nine or 10 in the morning, I think, till later in the afternoon when we had to go home for dinner. It was so much fun. I, at that point, I was a player and I was kind of just, you know, my mind was blown by the whole thing. And, I, and uh, after doing that for a few months, maybe a year at the most, I decided I want to run my own games. Uh, being a dungeon master looks pretty, pretty cool. I then I went out and bought the basic set. That's that's around the time it was. So this was like late 70s. Then I started to gather some people that I knew. And later it ended up being a bunch of people that I played sports with, guys from my swim team and my water polo team. Yeah, and we we'd play again. We often would kind of mix it in with sports. We didn't want to just stay inside all day. So we'd go outside and we'd play street hockey. I used to have the map of Greyhawk up on the basement wall, and I, I started <laughs> writing. I started writing my own adventures. I remember the first one was had a picture of a beholder on the cover and it was a big cavern dungeon crawl and just fell in love with it and played with it until till really sports and girls like completely took over, maybe around 16. And I, I left it. I never thought I'd go back to it. And mm. then a few years ago, when the fifth edition play test came out, I'd just been playing Skyrim and wondering why I stopped playing. The players that I'd, I'd collected a, a little group here in Vancouver, they said, you know, you really should publish the setting that you've created. And I thought, yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll see. And um, things have kind of progressed from there. Nice. That's yeah. the world of Mir. That's the, 
that's yeah. something that you're still building out? That's right. Yeah. And originally I just got invited to some, uh, like a random kind of group as the DM and they'll kind of said, we'll test you out. And so the first night I just prepared a village with a story around it. Then that village now has become nine continents. So yeah, it's. (laughs) It grew just a little. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing. So to continue that story, then tell us about how you got the company started. I mean, was it just was it that or how did that transition happen from just, you know, sitting in your living room or your office making making a city into a country into a continent into nine? Right? When did that become, you know what, I'm going to publish this? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, it was on the encouragement of the players. And I thought, yeah, maybe that maybe I could do that. And I, I found out about websites like drive through RPG. I looked at some third party publishers and considered going to work for them. And then I found out how little they paid their writers. <laughs> and I decided there's no way I'm doing that. And also many of the companies are kind of more of a horror focus, a, go- a kind of gory sort of, and I, that's not my, I'm much more into heroic fantasy of course, you have to have good villains, but my focus is on glorifying the heroes, not glorifying the villain. So yeah, I just I found out about Drive Through. I initially tried a Kickstarter, even though I had no footprint online. I hadn't published anything. Uh, the Kickstarter wasn't successful. We only got about twenty five percent of what we needed, and I decided, okay, I'm going to put a little bit of money into this to publish the first project myself. And, um, and I thought, you know, I really want to write other books. I'd love to write children's books, maybe novels. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to choose a name that's more about a publishing company. And I'll start with the role-playing side and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And I published Mir on drive-thru and it actually, there was some success with that right away. People thought, I guess what I've heard is that it's very detailed and it's, it seems like a world that's very organic, which was my intention. Um, really. Uh, inspired by Greyhawk, what what Gary Gygax did in terms of having a lot of detail, but also a place where DMs can go and they can make changes easily and it doesn't really change, it won't change the setting too much. So it can be a really good sandbox environment. Yeah, so I started, that's what I started. And then the really big fortunate thing that happened by accident was that uh, the DMs Guild opened up about a month later. Mm-hmm. And back then they used to promote their writers and anybody could get on there and uh, publish. Uh, things have changed quite a bit in the you know since then. But originally it was quite an open market and very, like I said, very supportive. And I took a lot of the tables that I'd made and I made a bunch of handbooks that I thought would help DMs for their planning. Mm-hmm. And I put those on DMs Guild and those actually did really well. And then cool. everything's just... Yeah. And then I wasn't sure where things were going to go. It was something I was doing on the side because I was, I was looking after my daughter. I was still teaching actually as well. Mm. Just, I was just about to leave teaching as I started it. And so I wasn't full time at all. The really big switch was when we came up with the idea for the monster book and connected with uh, the artist, uh, Travis Hansen. I wanted to ask about that, but I know Dan, you had some questions too. Well, what occurs, the thing that pops into my head is, so how would you characterize what, what makes your material unique? What's the, the angle that sets you apart from some, some of the other 
uh, third-party materials out there? Sure, sure. So as I mentioned, um, you know, for me, D&D and why I find it interesting and why I like the fantasy genre and storytelling in any way, really, is I like the heroic adventure. I'm interested in the hero fighting forces of darkness, and I'm interested in lessons that people could learn to be a better person and lessons that could help them in their life. And I'm interested in there being meaning behind things. I, I'm not like, for example, people actually will go out and research what is a popular title to, for RPGs and what, what creatures are popular. And they'll actually create an adventure or a product around that. And for me, it's more about a creative process and more about having a meaning there. So I'm very interested in mythology and archetypes. And the artist, again, you know, was very fortunate. Travis and I have the same, we want to put out the same product. We want to have things that are fun because it's a game. And mm -hmm. we want to have things that are glorifying the hero and having a balance where if we have dark creatures or evil creatures, we make sure we balance things off so we're not glorifying the villain. So our yeah. products, I'd say, are quite, quite unique, whimsical. There's a lot of humor. If you look in our books... There's a lot of Easter eggs around um, humor and pop culture and uh, music, especially and movies. And so I enjoy all of that. It does give us a very different product. And the art as well by Travis, again, is a more comic style, which lean, lends to that fun and lends to, again, not taking things too seriously. You, uh, you sort of answered my follow-up question. I, the, the book that Tom gave me to look at is The Monsters of the City. And oh, yeah. I, I made a list and I thought, like you said, I could see the light and dark, uh, but also some tongue-in-cheek. And I think what yeah. what kind of locked me in is when I saw Sirius Moonlight. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I saw, saw White Duke below that and, and yep. uh, Modern Love. And I thought, all right, I'm I, I get where you're going with this one. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's a few funny things that have happened. Like I, you know, you always want to, we pay homage to certain, you know, stories that we love. So there's there's bits of Star Wars in there and there's bits of uh, Tolkien. And, and then for me, movie, movies and music. So Bowie was always a huge inspiration for me in terms of being <laughs> a creative person and living a creative life. So every book... There's a Bowie creature. So the first book, there is the Goblin King. I thought it would be hilarious if there was a goblin <laughs> who dressed up like Jared, the Goblin King from Labyrinth. So that's what I did. Nice. Um, and then we have the Diamond Dog in the Underworld book. And as you mentioned, we have Sirius Moonlight. And you're one of the only <laughs> one of the only people actually who pointed that out. So. Um, <laughs> Serious Moonlight and the White Duke in the City book. And then the Wilderness book, our, our newest book we just uh, published, that one has Twiggy Stardust. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. good. I was going to say, I saw the, uh, I, I appreciated just the wordplay, the Royal Pain, the Rich Lich, the Handsome Devil, and of course the Shadow Rabbit that throws dangerous yeah. eggs. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, those definitely caught my attention. The duck of many things was uh, what caught my eye. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. 
I want to go back and talk a little bit about the uh, your working relationship with Travis Hansen. Art is something that I, I have zero talent in it, but my eyes love good art when it sees it. I caught the comic style. And then when I saw in the, in the intro on the page about uh, yourself and Travis and Gordon, um, I noticed he's an Eisner nominated artist and I wasn't surprised. I'm on page 41 of Monsters in the City, Sins and Virtues. There's a beautiful, it's, it's a rich lich. It's a beautiful full page. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it, even though it's comic style, it is magnificent. It is, it is probably one of my favorite images in this book. And I just, his work can be, from my eyes, can be very fun, mm-hmm. but then the fun can become very serious as well. And I, mm-hmm. I love that the talent jumped right out at me. How did that relationship come about between you and Travis? So yeah, I'm very fortunate. I, I saw his art in his, he, he's done a comic called The Bean and he does a daily comic now online called Life of the Party, which he did a few books on Kickstarter for. And so I saw that art and right away, you know, the same sort of thing happened in terms of seeing this playfulness and there's also a lot of depth, like you say, and a lot of humor. I got a hold of him and and originally in just one of our Dungeon Master handbooks, I asked him if he could do an image and he said he'd love to. And so a couple of times he did a few, just one image for a couple of our books. And at that point we couldn't really afford much more either. And uh, he and I started talking and we found out we're basically the same age. We were both stay-at-home dads. We're both here on the West Coast. So he's in California. I'm up in Canada and British Columbia. So we're the same time zone. And then a lot of our inspirations are similar. You know, the animated Lord of the Rings movies were a big part of our growing up. Mm-hmm. The one, the Ralph Bakshi movies, right. uh, obviously Star Wars and all of those Lucas films. And then also like Heo Miyazaki with his incredible movies, uh, mm-hmm. Totoro and Spirited Away. So we, a lot of our, a lot of the inspirations for us artistically and things we enjoyed were similar. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we both wanted to put out more positive kind of images that if there were dark elements that they were balanced. That, and that's something that we still work on. In fact, sometimes I'm the one kind of pulling him back from being a little bit darker and he's pulling me back from be, my satire being too direct. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So I noticed there, I noticed your characters, the outraged, and the uh, the monsters of the city. I I appreciated those too. Yeah, yeah. I think we we try to walk a line that I don't think a lot of people do, where we're more interested in creation and again the, having fun with the game. And so the extremes to us seem extreme. So when there is satire in the books, especially with the city book that enabled a lot of social commentary, we definitely satire the extremes in our society. Yeah, sometimes there's some discussions around that, but I'll give you one example of what the working relationship is like, is that Travis has probably drawn 500 illustrations for us now. He does a a sketch and then he shows it to me. And if things are good, we move to ink and then he colors it. So of those 500 times he sent me a sketch, maybe four or five times I've said, you know, could we change this a little bit? That's it. Mm-hmm. Because wow. I just love what he does. I love what he does. And he, mm-hmm. I give him a description. He has an idea of where I'm coming from. And then the changes are usually very minor if there have been any, you know, like 
maybe that you know I'll say this fake creature I really wanted him to have wings or he had a, he put what he put glasses on one character and I said I don't to me that's not fantasy or medieval fantasy <laughs> right um, he, did, he did though I didn't see it he did sneak in goggles in the last book <laughs> <laughs> so um he'll uh like I said, he does his own thing, and that's why I really like what he does, and I wouldn't want to change it. If I'm an artist, I wouldn't want, like, I'm not very interested in that much feedback, especially, like, I'm in my early 50s now. You know, I've done lots of different jobs. I'm not really that big into feedback. I mean, there, I will listen to it, and I appreciate, for example, on our Kickstarters, what our backers are interested in. So our books have changed into more of camp, a campaign book that just a monster book because that's what people want. But a lot of the creative choices, I, I, I really, you know, I know what I'm doing and uh, Travis knows what he's doing. And so I let him do what he does. <laughs> that Good is so cool. I, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I, I'm a, so I'm a librarian by trade at, at school librarian. And I talked to a lot of authors in many different areas from, from children's picture books to, you know, YA novels, uh, nonfiction authors and so many of them I'll say so what's the relationship between you and the artist and they're like mm-hmm. I, I, I've emailed with them a couple of times wow. and I'm like oh my I said that's got to be hard to do and they, they're like actually sometimes it is because you know you've described it this way and the artist just nothing wrong with it but they just interpreted it a slightly different way and so yeah. so it's really cool to hear that relation it shows in the book in my opinion it, it really shows that there's a lot of cohesion between the text and the image as well so i really like that i guess that's a benefit of being your own boss right yeah yeah it is and the fact sometimes the fact that you're a very small company you can actually do a lot of interesting things and you can be more flexible you know, there, there are times, too, where Travis has completely ignored my description and said, how about this? I, ha- I have a different idea. Uh, that hasn't happened too many times, but it, ha- it has happened. And I don't think there's one instance where I th- said, actually, no, I prefer if you go back to what I was looking, looking for. Almost every time I've said, wow, like, I like what you've done. I'm going to change my designs nice. or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewrite the bio. Because what you did is just unreal. Like, <laughs> and the city book actually, when I said, you know, for the monsters of the city, I said, let's, I want to divide it up into seven districts. Mm-hmm. So early on in the process, I talked to Travis right away and I say, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. And I get some input from him. And um, he said, hey, if there's seven districts in the city, let's do the seven sins because mm-hmm. they line up perfectly. And then you could have other creatures in each district that tie into those, into the sin. And I said, I love that idea. But again, as I'm really interested in this balance, I said, I'd really like to pair the sin and the virtue. And then we, then we were like, okay, now we know what this book is going to be like. That was a, that I, so cool. I, I appreciated that, uh, that structure. Mm-hmm. That was fun to Me look too. through and see the, I was looking forward to seeing just what the, the opposites looked like in the right. artwork too. Yeah. Yes. 
as a person who, so in, in the campaign that, that we are currently running with, I'm the DM, Dan, and some other colleagues in education are in this group. We're running, so we're running the Waterdeep campaign from Dungeons okay. and Dragons. But I, I became very interested in your book because I'm always looking for ways to spice up or develop a, develop something beyond what is published on their side. I'll still use their city structure, but this book has given me lots and lots to think about going into that. So I, I appreciate it from that side, but I also look at it as if I were, if I were to build a city, something like this would be a huge help. You have the template in the back of a city, a city map that, that someone could use or just be inspired by, which I, I love that aspect. And then as you mentioned, the different districts, even if I didn't want to use as a, as a, as a DM building my own, even if I didn't want to use your districts specifically, I might take inspiration from the districts that you gave and make something that fits where my characters are and where I would want to go. But as it stands itself, I think it's a great model and I think it's so cool. And I don't know, I just would love to build something around that. I'm just, Dan is the world building oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> person, person. I'm the, I'm the one who, who steals and, and uses this and this and this, and I build the puzzle from what other people's ideas are. And I right. enjoy doing that. So this book has been great for, for that. Well, there's a couple of the things I want to, that I want to ask you about in addition, because we want to get to your current fundraiser, your current Kickstarter of Monsters of Feywild 2. But I think what we want to do first is take a quick break. We'll come right back. I've got, I know Dan's got some questions for you. I've got some questions for you. And then let's really talk about Monsters of Feyland 2. We'll be right back on Teachers in the Dungeon. Don't go anywhere. And we're back. I'm Tom Gross with Dan Ream. We're talking with Andrew Kaywood of Kaywood Publishing. We talked a little bit about Monsters of the City, some of the inspiration there. Um, your magnificent artist, Travis Hansen, all of the work that you guys do together and how you collaborate on building these. You mentioned that you were a classroom teacher at one time. So, of course, being teachers in the dungeon, you are very welcome anytime to our dungeon to talk about any of your materials or your books. But I want to ask about any, did you play RPGs in your classroom and or did your classroom experiences impact or inspire any of the books and the world that you built? Yeah, that's a good question. Sort of what seems to have happened is, um, you know, my focus in teaching was using a lot of creativity. I, I would basically, I'd create a story every year that would involve all these characters and that I had puppets for. And the story was a fantasy, always set in a kind of fantasy setting. And what seemed to happen over the years, because I taught for about 15 years, mostly what you would say in the States, I guess, third grade to fifth grade around that age. Although I did teach in high school a little bit too, and I even used puppets for it when the other teachers were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so what I found, it seemed to, ha uh, seemed to happen there is that uh, sort of my creative process eventually it just couldn't just be in the classroom anymore. I, um, I started creating these stories and they would end up involving other classes in the school and sometimes the neighborhood. And then eventually they went to a website and then there was videos being, there were videos being made and I was recording tape conversations between the characters and writing letters. Yeah. <laughs> and it kept going to the point when I start, you know, I started playing D and D again and I thought, how can I change the classroom so 
the whole classroom experience is role-playing uh, because I already had changed it. So the whole class was about this story. So when we did science, it was about this mystery that we were doing. When we did math, it was about this mystery. Everything was integrated and everything was fun and everything was fantasy. So what happened was, yeah, I was starting to develop a way of, of using role-playing games all the time in class. And then eventually it just seemed like, like I said, that the classroom just at one point, the system was too small. The kind of politically correct wave had hit and it's like, it's quite big here in Canada. And that had hit the classroom and education to a certain degree that that's one of the reasons why I left. And I felt like as a creative person, I needed more space to, to do it. That's, that's mm -hmm. basically what happened. And I, I did love the teaching part and working with the kids. Just all the other stuff was starting to get in the way of, of being creative. And I was really fortunate because about seven years, for about seven years, I had a principal who had my back. And he, he appreciated what I did. And he basically shielded me. And people would think normally, oh, maybe it was the parents who didn't really like your creative way of teaching. Or, you know, maybe it was that sort of, but actually it was the other teachers. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, eventually I just, I was spending, you know, I was spending my lunch hour starting to map out the world, like you were saying that your, your partner here does. I was spending my coffee break instead of chatting with other teachers. I was starting to make characters. Yeah, and that's what happened. Then in my, I had a daughter and I decided to stay home to look after her. And then after that, I didn't, the teaching just sort of faded away. And this company, which was sort of starting to be born at the same time, almost the same time as my daughter. Um, <laughs> and there was this transition away from, uh, doing these creative things in the classroom to writing them down and publishing them for a new audience. Very cool. Wow, there's a, Dan, I'm gonna... I, I just want to go off on a huge tangent and I'm not going to do it, but <laughs> everything you said, you know, think thoughts pop into my head that thank goodness there are good administrators out there that will recognize and shield. And then my next thought is it's frustrating when teachers tear each other down when there should be, helping each other out but that does happen sometimes and it's just it's just a tangled whole other subject beyond this but yeah it's a, certainly an interesting story that you've got yeah and I do look back on it like really with good memories like I said that and my favorite time was that time with you know that principal who who uh it felt like I was a wizard who was in the castle who'd be given the keys <laughs> and my classroom even was at the front of the above the front of the entrance of the school. So I looked out on everything too. <laughs> and and uh, I felt like I was sort of um, as like a double agent or something. Like I was, you know, I'd somehow got inside the system. <laughs> and they didn't, realize, they didn't realize quite who they'd let in. Yeah, I think there is a novel there at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that is really cool. I, I appreciate the efforts that you gave those students. And I'm sure that those students still talk about uh, your class and their, and maybe, you know, you never know. That's the thing about teaching is you never know. Sometimes those students go away and you never hear from them, but I would bet that there's a student somewhere doing some role-playing in his or her class. And it's 
it's based on what they remember doing with you. And so that's, that is fantastic. I love it when teachers take risks, even, you know, with the support or not support of colleagues or administrators, but that teacher took a risk. And I've no doubt that, uh, that you made an impact on some students. And, but hats off to you also for following your passion and knowing when the time had come to, to step away and do something that is making an impact now. I, I don't want to move on too quickly. Dan, did you have any other questions before we move on to the Kickstarter? No, I was, I was actually going to move on and ask about the Kickstarter. I wanted to hear more about that. Well, so. Let's do it. You've got a, you've got a Kickstarter out there right now through June 7th, Monsters of Feyland to the Well of Dreams. Tell us about the book. All right. So we are returning to Feyland. Uh, about four years ago, we published Monsters of Feyland. Back then, it was really, for the most part, a monster book, which gave you a collection, an A to Z, typical monster book. But as things have changed with this series of books, we've made more of a campaign book. So that's what we have this time. But this time, we return to a, a Feyland that is a lot stranger. So there's a power source within Feyland called the Well of Dreams. And a faction from the evil Unseelie court has corrupted this well. And this has caused even more chaos than is nor normally in, in Feyland. So some of the wild Fey now have been transformed and become evil and joined the evil court. Whereas before there were conflicts here and then between the two courts, now an all-out war has broken out. So you can really have an intimate fairy tale type experience with the creatures that we present, or you could have this epic war between the courts and we're going to map out all the seven regions of Feyland like we did in the last few books we've done with lots of details. We're going to have magic items. We're going to have Fey flora, like different kinds of fungi, like the dumb guy fungi in our other books. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we have stretch goals to have extra monsters and to have tables for making bargains with Fey and the consequences if you don't read the fine oh, print. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. That's something I struggle with with contracts that have loopholes that aren't so obvious that the players will just see through them right away. That would right. be a nice thing to have. Yeah, so we'll give you some more straightforward bargains and uh, boons and things that you might get, and then some more complicated um, ones. Yeah, we're, it's going to be just as book, big as the last book, the Wilderness book, so uh, about 160 pages at the most with up to 120 creatures. Fully illustrated, again, all the art by Travis Hansen and Gordon McAlpin, the amazing layout person who's done the last two books, is back. And then our the other school librarian in my, uh, in my orbit here is also my assistant editor, Sarah Bagshaw. So she's back with us as well. So our little team is back together. And um, yeah, right now the Kickstarter is around 75% funded. And tomorrow is the halfway point. So... We're in pretty good shape. Excellent. That that just sounds phenomenal. <laughs> I have to say, if you've if you've been listening a little bit on the show, and I, you, you we are currently in the land of Slint, the island of Slint, which Dan has filled with Fay and Dark Fay, and so this is really resonating with me. And I'm thinking, oh boy, when we return to Slint, <laughs> it's only going to get more complex now. <laughs> there is a portal that you guys did discover, so maybe that's. Maybe that's where we're going next. <laughs> yeah, all right. Nice. <laughs> I love this. 
That is fantastic. And so we're recording this on May 23rd. So you're saying May 24th is the halfway point. Yeah. So the, and the last okay. day is June 7th at um, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. So it were for you, 8 p.m. on June 7th. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well, we will put the link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. I always throw that out, but I it's Dan that does it. So <laughs> well, I'm glad you do Easy. because you, you tell me what to do and I do it. So <laughs> it works. <laughs> so yeah, we will definitely put the the link to the Kickstarter out there, um, as well as the uh, your email, which is worldofmer.com. Is that the best email for your for the for the company? Uh, yeah, that's our main website, and all our links are there to social media. Uh, we're pretty active there as well. All of them, like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Awesome. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure visiting with you, Andrew, and all of the work that you do as a creator is just inspiring to all of us players and DMs. And so we thank you for that. As you get more books coming out, uh, we'd love to continue talking to you about them uh, uh, and just, and, and playing, playing your monsters. I'm waiting for, did you say it's uh, Ziggy Stardust? Twiggy Stardust. Oh, that's right. That's right. Twiggy, Twiggy yes. Stardust. Yeah, I'm waiting for, for these, yes. uh, these, these Bowie references that come into our game when Dan gets back to DMing. <laughs> we trade right. off, off and on. We trade off and on. So it's currently under my reign. And then in about six months, we'll switch and Dan will take, take over with the new campaign. And so you're giving him, we're giving him plenty of time to, <laughs> to browse through your work to bring some cool Easter eggs and fun to the game. So Thank you so much. Dan, any follow-up there? No, I think you got it all. Excellent. I love it when I I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, if if people want to reach out to you, Andrew, and ask you questions about your books, your company, even just uh, bounce ideas off of you, where can people reach out to you? Yeah, so we're very, as I said, very active on social media. We have our Twitter, Kwood Publish, and Instagram, Kwood Publishing. And then the world of Mir, myrr.com is the website and our email is there. And yeah, yeah, we love to talk to people. We spend a lot of time networking and meeting interesting people and other creators and uh, helping each other out as well. There's a lot of small third party companies we work with. Excellent. Well, once again, it's been an absolute pleasure for Dan. I'm Tom. Uh, thanks for, <laughs> wow. I'm, and I'm speechless. I am absolutely speechless here at the oh, end of the show. Oh, so oh, thank you all so, so much for listening. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.